highway abutting the fields is miraculously uniform for miles on end. This is true on both the east-west and the north-south routes. Are they separate fields on either side of the highway, or does the road mark an artificial division through a single uniform field? It's a stupid question, because it only matters to whoever owns the land. But you get all kinds of thoughts when the sun's strobe lighting through the driver's side window all day. And if you let yourself start thinking about the field without the highway, something happens to the way you take in the land. Your inner vision shifts. You think about fields with no one to see them. All that quiet life continuing on with no purpose beyond self-propagation. Tassels rotting in October. It gets to you if you let it. While he was there, the doctors gave him a sex change. Now parents' taxes paid for it. Kind of funny, dude. I thought I was coming on here to talk about Mortal Kombat, but then I didn't really feel like talking about Mortal Kombat. Um, we should talk about it at some point because I had never seen it until recently, and, and you know, it's got this towering reputation as, um, you know, a, a classic film, a really important film, and we'll get to it. But I just like, I watched the movie Universal Harvester and I was I was looking at what other people were saying about it online and just feeling like I don't know like it fucked me up it was a really good book and I mean movie it was a good film and uh, other people just like like a lot of these these people were being like or this is disjointed, or this didn't make any sense, or it was half-assed. And I was like, you guys, this is actually, like, a really tightly plotted film that's just in, it's got a really interesting structure that's sort of, um, like, is unexpected. I don't know, I feel like I've talked about this before. It's interesting, because my context for this usually is Joanna Russ wrote a thing. Joanna Russ, like feminist, sci-fi writer and theorist um, of literature, a theorist of everything, I don't know. She um, wrote a piece that I can never remember if it's called What Can a Woman Do or What Can a Heroine Do, where she was, she, it, she kind of like lays out um, like reasons that the classic sort of structure of a story um, doesn't serve women, you know? Um, it's worth reading, I'm not gonna go into it here because I, I read it years ago, um, but it really sort of, it resonated with me um, because, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for a strange structure and sometimes, not strange, that's not fair, for a structure that really fits what a piece is trying to do but is not kind of conventional or isn't obvious necessarily. Um, so, yeah, so okay, so here's the deal. I'm try, I've been trying to figure out how to describe what goes on in this film uh, for a while in a way that's like relatively straightforward. Um, but because this structure is kind of strange, um, it's hard to just be straightforward, or it's hard to sort of know exactly how to speak it, or to, to outline it directly, right? I mean, if it were an easy story to tell directly, it would have been told directly, and I could just walk you through the events of the story, right? Um, 
but basically, um, at this, so at the center of the film is this, um, there's a character, she's a woman, who I think was probably born in the late 70s. Um, and when she was young, when she was like pre-adolescent, uh, her mom disappeared. Like her mom went and, this is like all the spoilers, dude. Like it, part of what is so powerful about this book was that, I mean movie, is that uh, John Darnielle, the author, or the director, I guess, whatever the movie equivalent of a book author is, um, writer, producer, director, I guess. Um, his first book felt like, um, you were just kind of like right there with it on the page the whole way through. Um, whatever, dude, you know what I'm talking about. Um, this one feels like there's stuff going on and it doesn't really come together until the very end. It like all sort of, it's a usual suspects moment, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, okay, so you find out at the very end, basically, that, um, I mean, the, the story comes together from a bunch of different directions. It, what are we, I'm already fucking lost, dude. Okay, at the center of the film is a young woman named Lisa, I think, whose mother got sort of, was sort of like, I guess a little bit unstable, a little bit off balance, and she, uh, the mother, got, became a part of a, like a weirdo, weirdo's not a nice way to put it, but like a weirdo Christianity, weird, like, strain of Christianity that's sort of culty. Um, who just disappeared from her daughter and husband's life. Um, and then this girl sort and her father are sort of looking for this, this little cult. You know, it's like eight or nine people, I think, maybe around there. Um, membership probably ebbs and flows, fades and wanes. Um, so they're, like, traveling sort of across the Midwest and, um or like I guess maybe they start like western and they're moving eastern and you know a lot of people are looking for this cult they'll love, like find a or they'll hear that this guy Michael Christopher I think is his name has been spotted in this town and so people who are looking for people from their lives who have become part of this cult um, will like kind of make their way to that town and they'll try to find them but generally they'll have moved on too quickly um, ultimately uh, some folks like they bust up a meeting of this group and some of the folks are taken away to like a, a deprogrammer. Um, the ones who were taken away to the deprogrammer, uh, none of them were Lisa's mom. She doesn't show up again. There's like actually a pretty sad uh, voiceover section where Lisa is talking about how, look, I'm gonna spoil this for you. Like my mom never shows up again. There's a version of this story where you know, she comes back and it all gets wrapped up, but this is not that version of the story, this is real life. And um, I just sort of inadvertently spoiled something I was going to wait to spoil later. Anyway, um, yeah, so her mom is gone, but then the deprogrammers, they like, they these few people come and they're, they're, they do a thing in a barn that's kind of vague, but it seems at some point to involve like putting pillowcases on their heads and there's a lot of like, interviewing and there's a lot of videotaping of this stuff right they have videotapes and videotapes and videotapes of the process of deprogramming as well as some other stuff um and 
Lisa, I think, has these videotapes and she starts splicing like little bits of the footage of the deprogramming and the other like related stuff that's getting videotaped into uh, just videotapes that she's renting or other people are renting from the video store like a couple towns over. Um, and I think sort of the reason that she's doing it is that she's kind of so like it, it doesn't make sense it's not like if I do this this will solve a problem it's more like she's sort of so overcome with hopelessness and grief for her mother who has gone away that she's doing a weird thing you know what I mean um, and so she's placing these bits of what would appear to the outsider without context to be some like pretty creepy stuff into these videos um, and the videos, like this kid, Jeremy, works at the video store, um, and he, customers are telling him, like, there's something wrong with this tape, or, you know, there's something on this, I think one of them says at first, um, and he starts looking into it, and he doesn't know any of this backstory, he's just, suddenly there's weird shit on these videotapes that people are returning, right? Um, he starts trying to figure out what's going on, um, he doesn't have any luck. He um, is this like sad dude who the first section of the film is focused on him, right? So all of that backstory that I just gave, we don't learn that until later over the course of the book. But in the first section, it seems like Jeremy is gonna be the protagonist of the film. Um, and so we get a lot from him. We get sort of, it's, you know, it's in Iowa, I think. It's snowy in Iowa and he lives with his dad. He too is sort of, um, paralleling that that central character Lisa Jeremy's mother died I think six years ago around Christmas and so Jeremy and his father live together and they have this sort of sad life at one point I think they talk about like eating dinner like a real family um, where they'll you know he'll like get takeout and he'll bring it home and he'll uh, they'll eat together and then they'll watch movies or whatever and just kind of do their small-scale lives um, over the course of the book, Jeremy's father finds another woman that he starts to date. Maybe they get married, I forget exactly what happens, but his father starts dating and that's a little bit complicated. Um, but so the first big chunk of the movie is about Jeremy sort of being like, what the hell are these? So it's set up as a little bit of a mystery, right? And I didn't hear the interview with John Darnielle where he was talking about the relationship between this movie and horror movies, but I guess he said some stuff about um, the tension before you sort of get the resolution and the relationship between that and grief. Um, and a lot, like, that's, that feels like what's on the page for me. There's a lot of grief. There's a lot of sort of unresolved tension that's less about is somebody going to get killed or, like, you know, like horror movie, violence, whatever, and more just about, like, melancholy. Like, everything is really melancholy, and now it's this, like, tense melancholy and what could the resolution be with these you know the the disturbing or sort of unnerving things that have been spliced into these videos they're they're not like like if you go into this expecting them to pay off in some kind of like rob zombie kind of like monster movie or like you know like a serial killer is doing it or something you're going to be disappointed because that's not the payoff right it's it's actually people who had been in a Christian cult being deprogrammed and other stuff like that. Um, so it, it, it sort of opens up, it feels like a mystery. What are we, what are we gonna, 
where did this, this footage come from? Why is someone splicing these into the tapes? But then um, the owner of the video store where Jeremy works goes to uh, investigate this. I feel a little bit unclear on how this stuff worked out, but um, I think basically they recognize that this footage is taken in like a barn near a house that they both recognize a couple towns over. And so the video store manager like goes over to check it out and she winds up getting involved with Lisa, that central character who is doing this stuff in a way that I thought initially it was gonna be gay stuff. I was stoked for them to be having like a, a lesbian thing going on. Um, that wound up not being it. I'm a little bit unclear on what, I wanna say her name is Sarah Jane is the owner of the video store. I'm unclear on exactly what that relationship looks like, but um, the first, so the, the movie's in like four parts, right? The first part um, is mostly Jeremy sort of establishing these video things um, and Sarah Jane sort of connecting with uh, Lisa, although we don't really hear anything about Lisa, or very much about Lisa at this point. Maybe she's introduced, but we don't, like, it's not clear that she's as important a character as she's going to be. She's sort of like, yeah, I moved into this house at some point, whatever. Um, and then that section ends, and the second part of the film is all about um, it jumps back in time to basically when Lisa was a little girl, when her mother was there, and it's all, it's a section about her mother, right? This part is sort of, I, I get why people feel like this is disjointed, because it's sort of, we're changing to a different story that will ultimately be shown to be related, but like, um, right now it's not clear how. Um, and you get the story of this sort of dissatisfied housewife in, I think, the 60s, who's like trying to figure out you know, how to find meaning in life, and she, initially, she sees this guy, Michael Christopher, who, um, I think they go to the movies, and Lisa wants to go to a movie, it's a great scene, she wants to go to a movie, and, um, she's been to, like, one movie, and there's this great description of a little girl who's been to one movie who's, like, kind of obsessed with this idea of movies, um, just, like, you know, walking around and telling anyone who will listen the entire plot of the movie for the next couple of days. And so she's really excited about movies and they're at the movie theater and her mom is a little bit like, I guess actually we do have time to go see a movie. Um, and so they're like on their way in and she gets stopped by this guy who I think is eating out of the garbage or something. And he gives her a pamphlet to, uh, like come to his church meeting whatever um and she ends up like getting another pamphlet for that group later on and it's sort of like fate whatever and she winds up joining them and that's how she becomes a part of this she just disappears and during this section i guess the perspective shifts over to like her husband who's like you know pretty upset that his wife has disappeared and he didn't know that she was involved in this but um anyway you know, so we get that backstory of Lisa's mom, and then the third section is more, um, the first section was set in, like, the late 90s, right, when videotape was still, maybe not ascendant, but, like, videotape was still king, you know what I mean? Um, and the video store is sort of dying, but in, in the third section, we come back to that era, and we see more of Jeremy, um, a little bit more of Sarah Jane and I forget the other kid's name, but there's another kid who 
works at the video store who's covering for Sarah Jane because she's out of town and um, it's probably not Sarah Jane. I might not be remembering her name right, but um, this kid, his car is full of videotapes and it flips on the highway. There's this really, again, like pretty striking scene of just like plastic VHS tapes spread out across the highway as this car is flipped and um, you know, this kid is all fucked up from a traffic accident. I feel like this is the section I maybe was paying the least attention to. I feel like I should be able to say more about it, but I don't remember it super clearly, except that the focus was on this car accident. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm wondering whether that kid, I want to say his name is Eric, um, was somehow in cahoots with Lisa, was like bringing her tapes that she could splice shit into or something. Um, but I don't really remember. Um, but it sort of reestablishes that time frame. And then in the fourth section, we jump forward, I want to say like 10 or 15 years into the future, and we get another unrelated family that we're focusing on. And um, uh, I think they are unrelated at this point. They're like an outside party who comes in. It's this, it's like a son and daughter. I feel like they're both like college age. Um, and the sun is looking into these things. There's a part where they talk about um, a videotape that Lisa has spliced something into that's like on a shelf at the Goodwill and probably will be there for forever because nobody's ever going to buy whatever the tape is that had, you know, that thing spliced into it. Um, but this kid gets... I forget how exactly he finds out about it, but he gets sort of curious about the whole situation and so he like um I don't rem yeah I wish I could remember how he gets like interested in it but there's a, like there's some great stuff about I mean the atmosphere of everything that's going on is this real melancholy this like passage of time and things changing and things not changing it's just like a very sad film all the way through it's like mournful it's grief right that word grief that came up before it's it's a lot of grieving for a lot of things um and so there's a bit where he's like i guess it must be set at least 15 years after because i think self like iphones weren't as much of a thing 10 years after the initial part he's got an iphone and he's like trying to get service and he can't and the internet at his parents house sucks um and like is only on the computer upstairs because they don't have wi-fi they just have like ethernet um and he's like researching this thing and he's sort of got his sister involved and there's this like you know what it is i think that what they find is a huge stash of videotapes in the basement of the house that his parents have moved into like his parents i think they retired and then they went and traveled for like a year in this rv um and then they bought this house they wound up buying this house i forget exactly why but they bought a house in the town where the rest of the the film has been taking place and maybe how did this go i don't remember the exact connective tissue but the point is they have access to this stash of the videotapes from which lisa has been splicing or like similar to the ones from which lisa has been splicing i may not have understood this also if somebody wants to clarify this further for me please be my guest i'm stoked to see it again and see if i can really connect everything but the upshot is that, like, they figure out that these videotapes are connected to this weird, tiny, midwestern cult. Um, 
there's a great part where he like navigates his mom's uh, no Wi-Fi like iMac to a website that's on like GeoCities or Angel Fire or something like this really old website that's been accessed like eight times or something. It's got like a hit counter on the bottom um, where people have been leaving messages for um, it's it's like people who are looking for people who are sort of became part of this cult and left to be a part of it and disappeared. Um, people who are looking for those disappeared people can leave messages or can like leave updates or just can sort of, you know, keep track of stuff. And it's like fucking internet ghost town, you know what I mean? Like virtual tumbleweeds and shit in a way that um, I feel like somewhere else John Darnielle has talked about really liking old websites that are, you know, haven't been updated in 15 years or whatever. It's... Again, it's a great, just sad piece. And I think one of the things that happens as he's going, as this kid is going, this like college kid is going through this website is that he stumbles on a message from Jeremy, the protagonist of the first and I think third parts, um, who left a message there like 15 years ago or something. Um, and he has an email address, so this new kid contacts Jeremy, who's moved out, and we sort of find that over the course of the last 15 years, he's, like, moved to the next town over, and it's just, like, it's, again, it's this really, like, graceful, just, like, passage of time stuff, um, and I guess Jeremy, who's now no longer, like, a character we interact with, but a really, like, kind of outside or peripheral character, uh, Jeremy emails back to be like, yeah, I know, like, something about that, and sends the physical address of that house where all the, these videotapes were made, right, where all the, the deprogramming was going on, and so this college kid and his sister and their mom and dad get into the camper, the RV that the mom and dad had been driving across the Midwest, um, and, you know, it's just this very, like, like physical scene. You feel the weight of the the camper as they drive it over to this house and um, they kind of pull up, they, they kind of like draw out the scene where they're parking in front of the house and what you come to realize is that the voiceover that has been kind of the whole film has been the voice of grown-up Lisa, right? Like the girl at the center whose mom disappeared, who was doing the splicing. Um, you've been getting the story from her the whole time. And what's interesting, like, just this great moment at the, like, so first of all, that's a pretty momentous revelation, right? It's pretty like, oh shit, like, I don't know, maybe you saw it coming, I didn't see it coming, and people have talked about being disappointed by the revelation of what sort of has been going on the whole time. I think that, like, you'll be disappointed if you're expecting it to be you know, serial killers, right? Or like monsters or whatever. But like, if you've been paying any attention to this movie at all, you would understand that that would be a pretty jarring tonal shift, right? Like this is actually just really sad to find out that Lisa the whole time has been telling us the story of these people who have been looking for her in the same way that she has been looking for her mother. Only this time around, she's been leaving sort of clues or evidence or something for people to use to find her. You know what I mean? And so, um, this camper and all these people pull up in front of their house and then there's this, like, eye contact between either the son or the daughter and Lisa in the house and then 
this like moment of understanding after which this family sort of just like walks away like they don't come up to the house they they leave and so Lisa is still there on her own Enthusiasts. That's the end of the episode, and as the world gets worse every day, don't forget we get to be okay while these fascists choke on the fruit of the hate that they braid to their lives are the only thing keeping them warm while they're chained to their bricks on the floor of the bay. My body's broken, no, I ain't joking, and I still don't have any money, and nothing's working, stop the This one is by Tender Defender. Please be gayer. Please figure out a way to be more trans for me. Abenaki people who are still here and who have been here for at least 12,000 years longer than anyone of European descent.